Hello and welcome to another edition of St. Pete's on Repeat, the online sermon archive of St. Peter Lutheran Church in St. Albert, Alberta, Canada. This sermon was preached on November 21st, 2021, for the last Sunday of the entire church year, for Christ the King Sunday. And the sermon is based on Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the word of our Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know what a coat of arms is? Usually it, it has a shield with some symbols on it or maybe some mythical creatures standing on either side of it. When I was a kid, I thought they were so cool. Mysterious messages in different languages, every little detail means something special. I used to dream that there was some royal connection in my family going back hundreds of years and we would have a coat of arms just like this. Of course, when reality set in that my family was not that special, I always thought it'd be fun to make a crest for my family. These days, there are whole websites for that, glossaries of symbols and their meanings. You could go make a royal coat of arms for your family this afternoon if you wanted to. In fact, that's exactly what I want to do with you today. But not for the Metzgers, it's Christ the King Sunday, so let's come up with a royal coat of arms for our king, for Jesus. And let's do it on the basis of Daniel chapter 7. Before we think about the symbols that we put on that shield, we really have to think about the qualities of Jesus that we want to try to convey. If you think about the, the coat of arms for the UK, for example, they have a lion on one side of the shield and a unicorn on the other. The lion symbolizes strength and nobility and valor. The, the unicorn symbolizes courage and bravery. What are the characteristics of Jesus that we want to include in his coat of arms? Well, Daniel gives us a good place to start. In verse 14, he says, Jesus was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Those are good qualities for a king to have. The only question is, what symbols can we use to convey authority, glory, and power? Should we use a lion or unicorn like the UK does? Or maybe we could go back a little farther in, in Daniel chapter 7 and see some other symbols that Daniel mentions. He says, in the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were four great beasts. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. The second looked like a bear. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. The third looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads. The fourth beast was terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left 
it had ten horns. Wouldn't these make great symbols for a, a coat of arms? Better than a unicorn, right? Each of them is fierce and powerful and deadly in its own way. You wouldn't want to mess with any of these four beasts. They all convey authority, glory, and power. But none of them represent Jesus. They were actually meant to represent four very real and very dangerous kingdoms from Earth's history. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Each of them was fierce and powerful and deadly in its own way. They all commanded authority, glory, and power. The Babylonians were the ones who invaded Daniel's homeland and carried him and his fellow Jews off into 70 years of captivity. Babylon was the world power of Daniel's day. It was bigger, badder, and more beastly than any kingdom before it. Until the Persians came and conquered Babylon. Then the Persians were at the top of the heap. And because they didn't just conquer Babylon, but also defeated more territories and nations around them, they became the biggest and baddest and most beastly. Until Alexander the Great from Greece came and did the same thing to Persia that Persia had done to Babylon, and then Rome did to the Greeks what the Greeks had done to Persia, each kingdom growing bigger, badder, and more beastly. These are not pictures of Jesus at all. These are pictures of people and nations that tried to claim Jesus's authority, glory, and power for themselves. And even scarier than the descriptions of these nightmarish beasts is the fact that to a degree, for a time, they succeeded. They won their wars. They conquered peoples and nations. They sat on the most powerful thrones in the world for a while. But no matter how successful they were, no matter how long they sat on that throne, none of them held on to their power forever. Just before our text for today, Daniel writes that while they were allowed to live for a period of time, every one of these beasts had been stripped of their authority. We don't have to worry about the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, or the Romans anymore. We don't have to worry about lions, bears, or leopards. Oh my, none of them exist anymore. None of them can threaten us. They're all toothless, powerless, lost to the sands of time. None of those beasts can claim authority, glory, or power anymore. But there is one who can. That's the one that Daniel describes in verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Here are some things that we can actually put on Jesus' coat of arms. Let's start with those clouds. Clouds may not seem like the best picture to capture authority, glory, and power. They're just water vapor in the sky, right? They can't fight battles for you or protect you from much more than a sunburn. But this is the perfect place to start. Because it helps us understand how Jesus is different than every other king. Jesus is not a product of this world. His rightful place is in heaven, at the right hand of his Father, the position of almighty power and authority and glory over heaven and earth and all that exists. Heaven is Jesus' rightful home. But he came once to earth and is coming back again to rule. 
as king. And he's going to do that as one who looks like a son of man. You know, compared to a a ten-horned beast with iron teeth, a, a normal human like us doesn't look all that fierce or powerful or glorious. There's a reason you don't see many people on coats of arms. But the fact that Jesus came from heaven to earth and entered into his own creation, was born of a woman, just like you and me, tells us so much about our king. It means he loves us and is willing to do whatever it takes to help us. Imagine that you're Jesus. For the first couple thousand years of human history, you're up there in heaven, watching nations like Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, these fearsome, deadly beasts, wreak havoc on the people you love. You're up in heaven, seeing the devil, that ancient dragon, deceive and tempt people to sin. You're in heaven, and you see a flood of the humans you love in danger of being swept into hell forever. What are you going to do? We know what Jesus did. He didn't sit idly by. He didn't say, oh, well, we'll try again next time. No, he gave up all the authority, glory, and power that were rightfully his as the almighty Son of God at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And he came to earth. And he became a son of man. He lived in flesh and blood just like you and me. He ate and drank. He walked this earth and breathed this air just like you and me. He became our brother so that he could be our savior. See, Jesus needed to be a man so that he could take our place, so that he could live the perfect life that we were meant to live, so that he could die the death that we deserve for our sin, so that he could rise from the dead and ascend into heaven as the promise and guarantee that you will join him there in your human body too. You know, to put a a person on a royal coat of arms is not the most impressive picture, but it tells us how much God loves us that he was willing to become like one of us to save all of us. And it was precisely that sacrifice that not only won our salvation, but earned for Jesus the victory parade we read about in Daniel chapter 7. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. You'll be there. And so will everyone who believes that Jesus is their Savior, whether they live in Canada or the Republic of Congo, whether they've lived in the 21st or in the 1st century. Anyone, everyone who has ever believed in Jesus gets to look forward to being part of this procession, to line the streets of heaven and give Jesus the glory that he deserves for our salvation to praise him because his kingdom will never end. That's what Daniel says. His kingdom is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? I mean, not just the concept of eternity, that's impossible to comprehend, but what I mean is it's weird to think that Jesus has always, is now, and always will rule as the King of kings and Lord of lords. It doesn't always feel or look that way, does it? 
It often feels and looks like certain people and, and governments of this world are in charge. That's what Pontius Pilate thought when Jesus was brought to him. Jesus sure didn't look like a king in that moment. But Jesus was in charge even then. He wanted to go to the cross for you. Even though it would mean pain and death for him, that's the kind of king he is. One who would sacrifice everything to save you. No one understood it at the time. Not the Jews, not Pilate, not even Jesus' own disciples. But now, looking back with the help of God's word, we know what he was up to. Our salvation. Jesus is still in charge now. We may not always understand how. It may not look or feel like it in the moment. But the governments of this world, the four-headed leopards and ten-horned beasts, they're not really in charge. Jesus is. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. All authority, glory, and power belong to him. All the empires and nations of this world will eventually flame out, but his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. And that means something for you. Right here, right now. It means that you don't have to fear the beasts. They may have power for a time, but Christ is king forever. They may impact your daily life, but he's the one who rules your eternal heart and soul. It means that you shouldn't make these monsters your mascots. In other words, don't hinge your hope on the governments of this world to do the right thing or to give you every good thing. Put that hope in Christ your King, just as he promises to work all things for your good, to rule all things in heaven above and earth below, to include you in and make you into his kingdom forever. And finally, it means that we don't have to wait to worship him. This picture of Christ our King is not some vague future promise we're waiting to see fulfilled. Christ rules right now. He is sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven, ruling over all creation. He lives in your heart by faith and rules in your life on earth so that you can live with him forever in heaven. Don't wait for him to come back with the clouds of heaven on the last day. Praise his name today and every day. Christ is King now, forever, and always. To him be authority and glory and sovereign power forever and ever. Amen.